Welcome to Christian Concepts, a weekly show in which I hold thoughtful discussions about Christianity, its concepts, and misconceptions. I'm your host, Taj, and today we're going to talk about being born again. First, I'll start off by uh, introducing this topic by uh, my little brother used to always joke about uh, being uh, reborn again. That was the word he used to say. Um, he used to always say, you are reborn again. And he used to really laugh at me and he used to get a joke out of it. And this one day he came to me, he said, it's like, I finally get it. It's like, you guys don't smoke, you don't drink, but you know what? You guys take fantasy football to a different level. So, you know, a lot of times we get a lot of jokes about, you know, uh, the born again Christian, whatever, because in pop culture, especially, you know, uh, tends to be the more, uh, the zealous crowd that uses that term. But ultimately, um, we're, what we're going to really dive into today is w- what does that really mean? Because like I said, um, in pop culture and a lot of times we, there's a lot of jokes and, you know, of course that was lighthearted comedy because yeah, a lot of time church people, yeah, we do dive into our fantasy football, you know, and what have you. And, you know, uh, I, I knew he uh, said that he was joking, obviously, but he meant that in love. But really in a lot of circles, uh, be, the term born again and born again Christians sort of have a bad rap of being the crazies or the weirdos. And, you know, it, it is 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 a, a term that is really used to describe the quote unquote passionate crew. You know, these are typically the uh, the Christians that are always talking about Jesus and and uh, listening to music and uh, wearing sweatshirts and minivans, what have you, with uh, WWJD and what have you. And that is typically how uh, a lot of uh, people view. Uh, the born again Christian. But ultimately, uh, wh- where that term comes from, uh, it comes from John 3. And it's really nothing uh, negative or it's nothing to describe uh, how passionate someone is. But ultimately, uh, in this passage, um, if, if you take a look at it, John 3, um, Nicodemus, who is a Pharisee, he is a ruler of the day. And uh, the Pharisees, uh, th- they were the ones that were really uh, if you will, in charge of the religion, Judaism, the temple, and all those different things. And they were a high place in society because remember, in, in ancient, uh, uh, in ancient Israel, religion was like the most important thing in, in, in their culture. And these Pharisees were people that were very prominent. And in this case, in John 3, Nicodemus, who is a, a person that's very high ups in ranks, uh, comes to Jesus by night. Now, him coming to Jesus to ask these questions by night is a whole different subject by itself as to, you know, what was going on in that. But ultimately, here we have this meeting at night uh, between Nicodemus, one of the Pharisees, and Jesus. And this, this is really where that whole term uh, being born again comes from, because Nicodemus comes to Jesus. He has some questions, and he's very curious, because the Pharisees, they questioned him. They, they were uh, very... Uh, what's the word? Uh, very, uh, they, they challenged him a lot. They, they felt threatened by him, but in this case, it was very different. Um, he was genuinely asking some questions to really explore what was going on. And if you start, uh, reading that passage, you'll see that, you know, this was not a confrontational conversation. This was a conversation of a man that was truly asking questions. And verse three starts off, I, uh, this, this, this is the conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus. Verse 3, uh, where Jesus actually answers uh, him and, and, and says to him, 
I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, this is what Jesus says to Nicodemus. Now, Nicodemus, like I said, being a Pharisee, a person of high position in the religion, uh, he really understood his scriptures, really understood the Old Testament uh, uh, passages, we like to call it, or the Old Testament uh, books, as we like to call it uh, in, in Christianity. So him asking Jesus, and this conversation is between uh, two teachers of their day, two people that really knew and taught the Bible, right? So that's why this conversation really just strikes up. Now, Jesus is telling him, you cannot see the kingdom of God unless you were born again, right? So note that. Then verse 4 goes on, Nicodemus saith unto him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? So Nicodemus clearly doesn't understand what's going on here, and he's thinking of a physical birth. And I like to think of uh, a passage. I remember when I when I first uh, became a Christian, um, I was in New York in a church, and uh, a, a man was telling how he was explaining his faith to a co-worker and how he was a born-again Christian. And this very conversation came up. So what does that even mean? How can you be a born-again Christian? Does that mean you go back into your mother's room and come out a Christian? Like, what does that mean? And, you know, that person was saying that almost uh, in a teasing fashion. However, in this passage, Nikki Nicodemus was asking that he, you know, he's really trying to figure out like what is going on, like what does that mean? Because this is the first time that this term is is really used, and how it is, um, how we know it is today, and we take it for granted as just being a part of the culture. But you know, it was very puzzling to him at the time, right? So. Verse 5, Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Now, we go from seeing in verse 3 to entering in verse 5, right? So, excuse me, verse 4 to verse 5. So, here's what Jesus is establishing. You cannot see the kingdom of God unless you're born again, and you cannot enter the kingdom of God unless you are born again. You know, this is a very strong statement. And again, this is the first time this is really coming up. This is, you know, in a day where born again is is not used as it is used today. So it is very puzzling to this, this Bible teacher, this great man, Nicodemus, right? Verse 6 goes on. Uh, that which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Verse 7. Marvel not, I say unto thee, ye must be born again. So here we go. Jesus keeps saying, be born again, be born again, be born again. So it must be of importance. Here we have it three times within a couple of verses or a few verses that Jesus is saying he must be born again. So it must be important. He's really hammering in on this, right? Obviously, this whole passage, we know Nicodemus searching for answers does not fully answer it. In verse 8 through 12, if you go and read it, John 3, verse 8 through 12, he just does not understand. You know, the conversation continues, but ultimately we end up at verse 13, um, where Jesus says, and no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven even the Son of Man, which is in heaven. So in this right here, uh, Jesus is referring to himself, as we know, as, you know, uh, different places in the Bible, he's referred to as the Son of Man and the Son of God. But in this passage, he, he himself refers to himself as the Son of Man, and he says he descended from heaven. So Jesus is making a very strong claim here. He's saying that he came down from heaven. Verse 14 
And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Now, let me explain what this passage is, in case you're not familiar with the Old Testament scripture with, uh, it's either Numbers 20 or Numbers 21. Um, long story short, uh, after the children of Israel come out of Egypt, they're wandering in the desert. Now they're complaining, they're grumbling, they're giving Moses a hard time. Mind you, they just came out of slavery, but they're complaining about dinner, they're complaining about walking, they're complaining about just all these different things. Oh, uh, were there not enough graves in Egypt, Moses? You know, they're just 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 an upset crew because they feel like uh, Moses led them out into the desert to die. Not that he led them out of captivity of slavery, but <laughs> that he led them into the desert to die when they were more comfortable. You know, uh, throughout the different passages, they're talking about the leeks and the garlic and all the things that they had to eat uh, in Egypt. And really, they're ready to just rebel against him. Anyways, what ends up happening, this whole passage, it just grieves God so much that uh, serpents are set loose in the camp. And these serpents are, you know, poisonous serpents. And they are actually killing out, you know, um, the, the population, uh, the, you know, uh, these ungrateful, complaining people who were just came out of slavery are now uh, succumbing to poisonous snakes. Right. And in this passage, which is, you know, to be honest, it is one of those like confusing passages. Like, how does this even work? Like, wh why did God choose this method to save them? I don't know. All I can tell you is what the Bible says and how it worked out. Uh, Moses was instructed to. Uh, uh, construct this, this serpent. And he, he raised it up and, and, and by faith, the people that looked on this thing, um, they were spared, you know, they did not die of these poisonous snake bites, right? So that is what Jesus is referring to. Now, uh, it, it is not really uh, expounded in this passage because again, remember, this is between two people that know the Old Testament scriptures. They know, uh, the, the books of Moses and all this. So when Jesus, Jesus doesn't expound on it just like this because he knows that Nicodemus knows exactly what happened with Moses and how he lifted up that serpent and the people were saved as a result of that, right? So in this, going back to it, Jesus is saying about himself, this is actually a prophecy of his own crucifixion. Saying the Son of Man must be lifted up, right? So he is referring to himself just as Moses had to lift up that serpent so the people um, with their faith would look on that and be spared of the poisonous death. Well, that's what he's speaking about as far as uh, when the people by faith looking up at him in the cross will be spared of death. Death in this case would be, you know, the death, uh, the, the eternal judgment from sin and et cetera, et cetera. Because ultimately, just as those serpents, the reason why those serpents uh, came and they were dying, it's because of their sin. They were grievous. Uh, they grieved God because they were complaining about the circumstances despite all the blessings that they had, right? So in verse 15, again, I'm just going to uh, repeat that, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life, right? So the son of man came from heaven. Just as this serpent was lifted up, he will be lifted up. And by faith, the people that look on him, put their faith in him, will be spared, right? They will have eternal life, right? So this is saying a whole lot, but going on verse 16, for God so loved the world, of course, this is that verse everybody knows. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him 
should not perish, but have everlasting life, right? So here we go, putting all these things together, right? We have the picture of what Moses did for the people in the wilderness so that they did not die, so they were saved despite their sin, despite them upsetting and grieving God and um, all that they did to offend him. But by faith, they looked on that. And in this passage, by faith, they're looking at Jesus, putting their faith in him, and they're getting this eternal life. So verse 17 uh, going going right back to that, right after the most famous verse, verse 17. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved, right? So now we're talking about saved, salvation, right? So we have everlasting life, we have saved. Now we're going to verse 18. He that believeth on him is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Right? So here we go. We have everlasting life. We have saved. We have uh, not condemned. So we're talking about a lot of things that are really just explaining and describing the same thing. And this is that whole born again process, right? So, uh, belief in Jesus, saved, heaven bound, forgiven of your sins, not condemned. All these different things are describing literally the same thing, right? They're just different words to describe uh, the same thing, the same process. Now, a lot of people will say, no, that's not what born again means. It is not just simply putting your faith in Jesus and having eternal life. It is not what John 3.16, John 3.17 and this passage is saying is, is not about faith, right? Reason being, uh, if you scroll back up or if you re- read back up to uh, the first part, uh, verse 5, where Jesus says, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Now, that creates a lot of controversy, a lot of confusion, what have you. First and foremost, the part about being born of water. This is where a lot of people say that means water baptism, right? If you are not water baptized, um, you are not going to heaven based on that passage. There's a couple other passages too, uh, such as Mark uh, 15 um, uh, and, and a few other places where they, they li- like to go to. Uh, Mark 15, 15 and... But in this passage, uh, we're, we're going to just look on the water, uh, be, being born of the water and see if that really uh, lines up with water baptism. Well, first of all, I must say, um, if being born again has to do like being born of water is being born again, which a lot of people will say. In this passage, there's actually more than just being born again, because, of course, we all have our physical birth. We're born once, right? Now, if you're born of the water, that would be born again. Now, again, if it goes on to when you're born of the spirit, which I'll get into in a little bit, that is actually three births, right? So we're talking about being born, being born again, and then being born again, again, right? So something is not adding up right here because throughout the Bible, throughout, you know, Christianity, we're speaking about born again, born, you know, just as being born again, again and again. Right. So that might sound a little confusing, but here with me, uh, bear with me. Um, 
that is why I don't, when I read this passage, I do not see the connection between water baptism and being born of water. Reason being, like I said, that would be three borns or three births, excuse me, um, that, w- that would not just be born again, which would be two, right? I believe that water birth, that w- born of water has to do with the flesh, like the, the physical birth. We are born from a watery womb and just, Throughout the Bible, throughout the different things, um, I can definitively say that baptism is important. However, I can go through just that will be an episode in itself that baptism and salvation are not one and the same thing. It's almost like love and marriage. Yes, when you you love your partner, you get married to them. However, love and marriage are not in the same thing. And that is just the quickest, just breezing through uh, analogy that I can give for um, baptism or even a funeral. When the person uh, dies and the person is buried, the funeral service itself, those are not two. Those those are linked, but they are not uh, interchangeable. For example, um just because a a person being dead and a person have a funeral they 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 are separate events like it's not like uh sure you can have a funeral for an alive person <laughs> um and you can't you 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 can uh be dead without having a funeral right it's it's kind of a weird thing i know that's probably not the best analogy but um yes they're connected but they are different so, which brings me to the whole, okay, being born of the Spirit, right? Now, a lot of times when this comes up, it says, yes, you must be born of the Spirit. Jesus said it right there himself. Um, anyone that denies that is denying the Holy Ghost and denying the Spirit and all these different things. And I'll say 99.99999% of the time when a person uh, is saying, um, born of the Spirit, and they're not uh, putting these all these uh, things together, they're going to come up and say something related to um, tongues. Um, for example, a lot of uh, Pentecostals, which is the denomination, they will say that um, if you do not speak tongues, you were not born again. You are not a safe person. You are you have not received the Holy Ghost and you will not be going to heaven. And, you know, there's other criteria as well. But they're saying in this passage, um, being born of the spirit means that you have received the Holy Ghost and you're speaking in tongues. Now. That is a subject in itself, and that has to be in an episode. I mean, that could be like a whole series, uh, to be honest. Um, but um, according to First First um, Corinthians twelve, uh, I will just simply say, not all people speak tongues. And you can read that passage for yourself if you disagree with that. Just read through First Corinthians twelve, uh, see the rules of tongues and all that stuff, and see if it actually follows what you believe. And again, this is Christian concepts, so your your concept should be coming from the Bible, not what your preacher said or some other Christian or some guy on TV or whatever it is. Just pull it out from the Bible. Does First Corinthians twelve say everyone should speak tongues? Right. So that's why I I really do not believe that it has to do with tongues. And what I will say is that. Uh, it is the spirit that really gives you understanding because, you know, we naturally don't seek after God. We naturally seek after the things that we're interested in, the things that pleasure us, the things that we are focused on. And, you know, naturally God is an afterthought. You know, we, we, we have a fear of God in us saying that we reverence him. However, you know, he loved us first. It's like no one loved God before 
uh, he, uh, he loved us, right? That, that's just, just how we are. We love ourselves. And, you know, it is the spirit of God. And again, even, even in, uh, first Corinthians, it, it says it, that's where we get, we're getting our understanding through the spirit, right? First Corinthians, um, two verse 14 and, and other places really, even as much as just reading the scriptures and everything, you know, when, when you were younger as an uh, unsaved person or, or you are, uh, just don't have the faith, you just don't understand the scriptures, right? That is, that's how all of us were. When I was growing up in Sunday school, I had no clue what the Bible was saying. I was reading it. I was in church, but I didn't understand anything. And it wasn't until the, the Holy Spirit just lit up those pages for me, gave me the understanding to actually know what's going on, that I could even have this conversation that I'm having right now. And without the Holy Spirit, um, none of that is possible, right? It is through the Holy Spirit that we're able to understand the Bible, we're able to discern truth, we're able to seek after God. Um, and, and of course, these, the, the, all of this is, is what works in our soul and our spirit to give us the repentance. Like, right? When you hear the, the word of God, you hear that you have offended a holy God and all those different things, that feeling, if you will, I know it's not just a feeling, but that, 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 that knowledge of knowing that, wow, I have sinned against God, that comes from the Holy Spirit. That is not a natural thing. And without the Holy Spirit, all of that, 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 you know, that, that sorrow, that brokenheartedness that makes you want to come and accept Jesus by faith, without the Holy Spirit, none of that is possible. So when it says being born of the Spirit, it's, you know, it really, it's a work of the Spirit. It is a work of God and it, it's a miracle when someone comes to faith. It really is because a lot has to go into it that is just not natural. The opposite of the spirit is the flesh. The flesh is all about itself, all about, you know, me, 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 just wants to uh, do, you know, it's like the id and the ego. It's like that just drive, you know, um, that, that it's that fighting force within us, you know, at all times, even people who have been saved and Christian and reading their Bible for 20, 30, 40, 50 years, you know, th that is always in them, right? To, um, want to go after what is their own desire. Like say, I want that new promotion. I want that new big house. And like, yeah, maybe that's not what God has in store for me, but I would love to have that, 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 that cabin up in the mountains where I could go ski or, or, you know, that beachfront property, whatever it is, right? Yeah. But God kind of wants me to go in the opposite direction, but he'll understand. Like, you know, that is the natural tendency of people. So that actually, it, it's, it's a battle that's always going on, but it's by the spirit that we're able to overcome our own flesh and actually do what God wants us to do. So when a person is born of the spirit, that's what, how we become sons of God. That is how we become saved people. That is how we become, you know, ultimately Christians, Christ-like, right? And it's all through the Spirit. The Spirit is the one that, that just, you know, is, is, is always there and, and, and lighting up the Word of God for us and, and leading us, like quietly leading us down the right path, right? So, yeah, I, I, again, you know, people might say this is, this is, you know, this is just all semantics and so forth and whatnot. But I'm telling you, if you read through the Bible, uh, the, tongues is not in this passage. It really is not. And, um, if you feel otherwise, I mean, please, uh, feel free to send me a message, what have you, tell me I'm wrong, I and just back it up with scripture and what have you. Because again, like I said, this is a Christian concept. So, you know, 
the concepts, the belief, the faith, everything's coming out of the Bible. So, uh, you know, I'm really not interested in hearing what uh, Dr. So-and-so who wrote a book said. Um, just show me what it says in the Bible. That is ultimately w- what it comes down to. And hopefully, if you're listening to this, I-, I would hope that you have the same heart too, right? That you genuinely want to know what's going on in the Bible. And, you know, you want to build your faith and your concepts on that and not just say what I say, right? Ultimately, be a Berean, <laughs> like in Acts. Um, uh, see if these things that I'm saying are so and actually go look for them. Go listen to... um a bible app if you if you don't if you're not one to sit down and read just you know there's so many that you can actually listen to the bible on your phone right now right and you know i just highly encourage you to go through these passages listen to all the stuff but in conclusion right being born again is an event right it is just like the day you were born onto this earth well the day that you are born into god's kingdom that you can see god's kingdom that you have eternal life that you have all you know all these different things that are you know you become a son of god it is an event, right? The day that you were born, you were a child of your parents. Well, when you are born again, you are a child of God. It is simple as that. And it is through this process that, you know, you start to follow Jesus. You are, you know, quote unquote, saved. You're heaven bound. Um, and, and, and all these things. You're leaving your old self behind. The flesh is put to death, if you will, and your, your new birth the new you is a spiritual you that is seeking after God. The see, the flesh does not seek after God. The spirit seeks after God. So hopefully I was able to shine some light on this topic and bring some clarity. If this is something that you were, you know, possibly not fully understanding or whatever it is, or like, what does that term really mean? Whatever it is, you know, ultimately, again, I'm not here to, um, argue and, and, and go on with semantics and all that stuff because I mean I've, I've, I've been there and I've done that through my younger years and it was fun don't get me wrong but it's, it's not productive ultimately it is a spirit that's going to give convince you of these things but you're going to have to dive into the Bible you're going to have to read this stuff for yourself and you know um, if you have questions and um, you genuinely want to have a conversation um, feel free to um, DM me um, the contact information is in the show notes, but Biblegum Media on Instagram. And I hope this was helpful to you. And I look forward to seeing you in the next one.